Hello you guys, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. I hope you all are still staying safe. I hope you're healthy. I hope you're staying inside if you can. If you are an essential worker, thank you for everything that you are doing. And with that being said, you guys, as you can tell by the title of today's episode, we are talking about the unsolved murder of Hannah Truelove. Hannah was 16 years old when she was murdered on August 23rd, 2012 in Gainesville, Georgia. And before we jump into Hannah's case, we are going to go back and talk about some of the things that y'all had to say about Savannah Spurlock's case that we covered last week. Now, if you haven't heard the Savannah Spurlock case, you can either pause this episode go listen to that one, which was last week's episode, and then come back to this one. Or you can skip ahead during this part, listen to today's episode, and then go back and listen to Savannah's at a different time. So there isn't a lot of theories in this case, considering the fact that it mainly is a solved case. We're just awaiting for a trial at this point. But I did want to kind of run through some of the comments that you guys left on my YouTube channel when I covered this in a video version. If you don't know, I do the podcast version here on Killer instinct. And then I also upload a video version of it as well onto my YouTube channel. So you can get the visuals on the YouTube channel. And then here you can just listen. It really is the best of both worlds. So on the YouTube channel, a lot of you were basically, you know, the general consensus of this was that her friends should never have left her. She should have never been alone at the bar. She should have never even had the opportunity to leave the bar by herself with three men that she didn't know. A lot of people said that they wish that that the police and the authorities would release the cause of death for Savannah, and I'm sure that that will be explained into more detail once the trial actually does start. I just think for right now, they're probably trying to keep as much evidence and information disclosed as possible. And the one thing I want to say about Savannah's case, and that is something that I mentioned in my YouTube video of Savannah's case more frankly, and I wasn't as blunt here on Killer Instinct, and it was almost just because I didn't really feel like I had to, but I feel like since seeing some of the comments on the YouTube video, it's important to say this here as well. There were a lot of judgments made against Savannah and who she was as a person and who she was as a mother based off of her, you know, socializing and going out and partying and whatnot. And basically what I said in that video is I will not tolerate any unwanted or unasked for judgments on a victim. I just think that's mind-blowing that we're still even doing that. We have no room, period. Like we as outsiders, as people who are listening to the most traumatic pieces of someone's life, we have no room to judge. We just don't. And that doesn't just go for Savannah's case. That goes for every case we've covered in the past and will cover in the future. You just don't really have the room to judge how someone wants to live their life. Now, there obviously are exceptions to this once it crosses over into hurting other people. Yeah, that's not the best. And that's where you kind of have your eyebrows raised a little bit. But judging someone based off of their, you know, social life and off of some of the decisions that they make, you just don't got the room to judge, period. And the reason I wanted to bring that up is just because I have seen it as a theme in the comments of the YouTube video. And it's kind of 50-50 with some people saying, with some people judging her for what she did and some people saying, you know, this should not have happened regardless of who she was with, regardless of what she was doing, this should never have happened. So I did want to just kind of throw that out there right now. It's a lesson that we can take moving forward and in past cases too. And with that being said, let's jump into Hannah True Love's case today because this, like I said, is an unsolved 
unsolved murder and I'm very curious to see what y'all have to say about it and what your theories are on it. So like we said, Hannah Trulove was 16 years old when she was murdered on August 23rd, 2012. There isn't a lot of actual information on this case and there's a lot more questions than there are answers, but Hannah as well as her family deserve justice for this. So let's just jump right on into it. Hannah Trulove was born on May 18th, 1996 to her parents, Jeff Trulove and Mona Harris. She had a brother named Clint and a sister named Jessica. Hannah is described as unique. People who knew her said that she was really outgoing, she was very popular, but she was also a free spirit and someone who was extremely loving and had a really bright future ahead of her. So Hannah's parents actually got a divorce and I wasn't able to figure out at what age Hannah was when this happened, but what I do know is that after her parents got a divorce, she ended up moving to Gainesville, Georgia with her mother. They lived at the Lake Lanier Club Apartments in Gainesville. Now, Hannah went to Gainesville High School. She loved music and singing and gymnastics, and her dream was actually to become a veterinarian. So, let's talk about what happened on August 23rd, 2012. Now, on this particular day, Hannah's mom, Mona, had gotten home from work in the late afternoon hours into the early evening of August 23rd, 2012. When Mona got home, she was expecting to see Hannah. She was expecting Hannah to be home, but when she got there, she was surprised to see that Hannah was nowhere to be found. Mona said that even though Hannah wasn't actually in the apartment, she knew she had been there at some point because Hannah had gotten the mail from the mailbox and left it on the couch of their apartment. Now, because Mona had just gotten off work and she was really tired, it had been a long day, she decided to take a nap and assumed that by the time she woke up, Hannah would be home. But a couple hours later when she woke up, Hannah was still not at the apartment. So the first thing that Mona did was call Hannah's father, Jeff. And this was because Hannah and Jeff sometimes would have like dinner dates with each other. That would be their way of spending time together and seeing each other. And they would pick out these dates and then they would go to dinner. And Mona thought maybe Hannah and Jeff had a date set up for that day and Mona just wasn't aware of it. So she ended up calling Jeff. But when Jeff answered the phone, he had to tell Mona that they never had a dinner date set for that day and he had no idea where Hannah was either. After hanging up the phone with Jeff, Mona decided to call some of Hannah's friends to see if she was with them, and when she found out that Hannah wasn't with any of her friends either, that's when Mona said her stomach just dropped and she knew something was very, very wrong and decided to call the police to file a missing persons report, and this was about 10.30 p.m. on August 23rd. When police arrived to the Lake Lanier apartments, they ended up searching the entire complex as well as the neighborhood around it, like the surrounding areas of it. And on August 23rd, 2012, there was actually a rainstorm that went through Gainesville and police as well as Mona were optimistic when this happened because they thought that if there was a possibility that Hannah went out on her own, if she was rebelling, the rain would have brought her back home because she wouldn't want to stay out that long in the rain. But that 
that was not the case, and police had to go back to the Lake Lanier apartments that night and tell Mona that they had not been able to find Hannah during this initial search. The following day on August 24th, there was actually a man who was walking in the woods that was a quarter of a mile away from the Lake Lanier apartments. It was almost like if you look it up on a map, it's almost like this woods area was basically the backyard of the Lake Lanier apartments. It was not far. It was just right there. And on the 24th of August, the day after Hannah went missing, there was a man walking through the woods. And while he was walking, he ended up seeing something that to him resembled a mannequin. However, when he got closer, he realized that what he thought was a mannequin was actually a human body. And he had actually heard about Hannah's disappearance appearance from the night prior, and he knew that the person that he found was Hannah Truelove. So this man who found Hannah ended up calling the authorities, and when the authorities arrived on the scene, they were able to confirm that it was Hannah's body who had been found in the woods. Hannah had been stabbed to death multiple times, and her body was basically just left in the woods, and any chance of having any possible evidence from the crime scene basically went out the window in this because it all was washed away by the rainstorm that had gone through Gainesville the night prior. So the first thing that police tried to do is they tried to put together the pieces of what happened in the afternoon of August 23rd. And they were able to figure out that Hannah had been hanging out with some of her friends at the apartment complex that she lived at at about 4 o'clock p.m. on the 23rd. And there's an area of the complex that kind of resembles like a lawn. It's a field of grass and a lot of kids would play on it. People would play sports on it, football, kick the soccer ball, around that kind of thing. And on August 23rd, Hannah was hanging out with some of her friends on this lawn. And there were also a lot of other people who also lived in the complex were also hanging out on this lawn as well. And after Hannah's disappearance, a witness came forward and said that while Hannah was hanging out on this lawn, there was actually a four-door silver mid-sized sedan car that pulled up to where Hannah was. And there had been a young man who got out of the car and about 10 to 15 minutes after this car had pulled up, Hannah was seen walking behind this young man by about 10 to 20 steps behind this young man. And Hannah was seen following him walking across the parking lot of the complex and then into the woods, which is where her body was eventually found. This man was described as being as young as possibly a teenager, as well as being African American. Now, even though all of this happened, and when you hear you know, she followed some guy into the woods and that's where her body was found and okay, done deal. Even though that happened, Hannah was actually seen alive about an hour after this incident had occurred. So she ended up at some point walking out of the woods alive and then her body was found back in the woods. To this day, no one has ever been able to identify who Hannah took that walk with. However, because she was seen an hour later alive, police have come forward and said that they just want to talk to this person and ask them questions and they don't view them as a suspect. If anything, they're just a person of interest in this. Police have also said that they do believe that the person who murdered Hannah was more than likely someone that she knew. Considering the fact that there had been a lot of action happening at the complex during this time that she went missing and had she been abducted or taken against her will, someone most likely would have heard or seen something. They believed that where Hannah's body was found was the site she was murdered at and that she was not placed there. Now, at the time of her disappearance, Hannah's phone was actually taken away from 
her. Her mother had taken away from her as a punishment for something. And Hannah's last way of communicating was through a Nintendo DS. So because of this, it wasn't like police could track the GPS on her phone, even though she was found behind her complex. It's not like police could see whether or not she was taken off the complex and brought back, or if she went anywhere else the night of the 23rd, because she was just communicating via her Nintendo DS, basically. So because of the lack of evidence that police were able to go off of from the actual crime scene, they looked into Hannah's life a little bit more to see if there would be anything that would help lead them to the person responsible for taking Hannah's life. So Hannah was very active on social media. She loved posting pictures of herself online. She was active a lot on Facebook and especially Twitter. She tweeted a bunch. She tweeted multiple times a day. And when I went back and scrolled through her Twitter, because it still is up and available in public, it seemed like a lot of what she posted was like little bits and pieces of her emotions on her love life. It was clear that she was kind of going through it with some boyfriend or ex-boyfriend, as well as some sassy comments here and there. But as the days got closer to August 23rd, which was the day that Hannah went missing, Hannah's tweets started to get a little bit more worrisome. On August 12th, 2012, just about 11 days before Hannah went missing, she went onto Twitter and tweeted, quote, I got me an ugly ass stalker, end quote. On August 18th, 2012, Hannah tweeted, quote, so scared right now, end quote. Now, according to police, they said that they were able to identify who this stalker that Hannah was referring to, and they were able to question him, but they cleared him pretty quickly from being a potential suspect in this case. One of Hannah's last tweets was on August 22nd, 2012, saying, quote, I need to move out of these dang apartments, end quote. Now, it was hard for police to kind of decipher whether or not Hannah's tweets were the cause of, like, typical teenage drama and, like, dramatics and things like that, or if it was something deeper than that and there actually was a stalker or something wrong or she felt threatened or in fear for her life. So here's the thing about this case. You know, like we said in the beginning, there's a lot more questions and answers and a lot more theories than there are facts. And a lot of people believe that the main reason this case has gone unsolved for this long is due to the fact that the rain washed all of the potential evidence away. A lot of people also believe that the police actually do have a solid idea of who was responsible for Hannah's murder. However, because of the lack of evidence, they aren't able to confirm it and are more so hoping for a confession. So let's run through a list of the potential theories that have been floating around from this case, and then you guys can make up your own theories. Let me know what you think as well, and we will go over those in next week's episode. And there are a lot of theories on this case that are floating around the internet on Reddit and web sleuths and so many different places and comments of the True Crime Daily video that they did on this case. Lots and lots of theories are floating around, so I'm really interested to see where your guys' instinct lies in all of this. So the first theory that we have is that Hannah was murdered by someone who lived in the apartment complex that she also lived in. Some people have linked her tweet of her saying, quote, I need to move out of these dang apartments, as well as her stalker tweets to the fact that maybe someone who lived in the complex was stalking her, and that is why she wanted to get out. But on the flip side of this, if we're playing devil's advocate, she could have said, I want to get out of these apartments because she literally just wanted 
wanted to get out of the apartments and she didn't want to live there anymore. She wanted to move away and go somewhere else. But because there were a lot of people walking around the complex on the 23rd during the hours of 4 p.m. to 7.30 p.m., which was when Hannah was last seen, people were out with their kids, people were playing sports on the lawn. I'm not sure what type of community the complex had at the time, but if someone who was at the complex who either didn't look familiar or wasn't supposed to be there, I feel like that might have been voiced. Now, we do note that they have a witness who stated that they saw Hannah walking behind someone into the woods. However, she was seen alive an hour after that, which makes me wonder what the meeting was about. But if we're going with this theory of, you know, someone from the complex is who took her behind the woods. The witnesses and the other people who lived in the complex probably wouldn't have thought much of it considering it was someone who they had seen a lot as well. Now the second theory that's been floating around with this case is the fact that Hannah could have possibly been pregnant at the time of her murder. Now, some people believe that she could have been faking a pregnancy for attention from her ex-boyfriend, and then there's some people who believe that she actually was pregnant. There were also questions of a love triangle between Hannah, her best friend at the time, as well as either her best friend's boyfriend or Hannah's ex-boyfriend. That was really never made super clear, but there were no indications at the time that she went missing that Hannah was dating anyone. Hannah had also been tweeting on the days leading up to her disappearance about her stomach hurting, as well as her gaining weight and her stomach growing. Now, some people, like I said, believe she was not pregnant and she was just trying to get attention. Whether that's the case or not, the theory here goes that Hannah walked into the woods with either an ex-boyfriend or someone who knew her ex-boyfriend and the ex stabbed her out of fear that she was pregnant. Now, the reason that I question this theory is because I believe that it would be relatively easy for police to figure out who this ex-boyfriend is and question him about it. So because of that, it makes me feel like he's possibly cleared. And the autopsy results have also never been released to the public. However, I do think that if they came back and showed that Hannah was pregnant, it would also give police a possible motive and kind of lead them somewhere. But because we're about eight years later, since Hannah's murder in this case still hasn't been solved, it makes me kind of on the fence about this theory because I feel like if Hannah was pregnant, it would give the police a possible motive to work with. Now, another theory that kind of stems from this theory is what we just talked about briefly, which was the love triangle that Hannah was in with her best friend and a boy. I don't know whose boyfriend it was. It was someone's boyfriend. Now, this to me seems extreme. I feel like to murder someone over a love triangle seems extreme. However, it, we've seen it a lot before. This is not something that's uncommon. I guess just because they're 16, it kind of makes my mind go a little crazy thinking that a love triangle is what would lead to a stabbing of someone. I don't know. It just doesn't really sit right with me. I'm not sure what I believe on it, but you know, if Hannah walked into the woods with either her best friend or this guy that was in this love triangle with them, or if the possibility of a pregnancy was brought up to them and they freaked out, you know, there's just a lot of different ways that this could have gone. If if we're sticking to the theory that this was caused by some love triangle or some pregnancy, there's a lot of different avenues that this could take to lead us to where Hannah was murdered. Now, another theory in this case is that Hannah's murder could have been a result of gang violence. Now, on Hannah's Facebook page, she's actually friends with multiple people who are involved in a street gang in 
Gainesville. Some people believe that this could have been a part of a gang initiation and someone in the gang is who she was seen talking to and walking back into the woods with the day of her disappearance. Here's my thing about this unidentified person. I think that the reason it seems sketchy to me, which we've seen this in the past and I've brought this up in different cases before, is that if you had nothing to do with it and you were simply just talking to her about something, why not come forward and why not say, you know, it was me, I was talking to her, we were talking about this, it had nothing to do with her disappearance, I don't know anything about that if that is the truth. I mean, there could have been more to it as well. The fact that they had to go into the woods to talk about whatever they were talking about is a little odd too to me, it's just a little bizarre. They could have definitely been talking about something shady, but also something that had nothing to do with Hannah's disappearance. However, the timing of it does seem very questionable. So I do want to pick your brain on something a little bit though. So when I was doing my research, I found it odd that even though the police searched the entire complex and the areas of the neighborhoods around it the day that Hannah disappeared and when Mona called in that missing persons report, Hannah wasn't found until the next day. But it's not like she was found far away from her home, miles and miles away. She was found a quarter of a mile away from her home in what is technically the backyard. Now, this is the only reason I question whether or not Hannah was taken away from the complex the night she was murdered. Like we said, she didn't have her phone, so there's no way to track her movements that day. It just makes me wonder if the conversation she had with the unidentified man was the two of them making plans to meet up later. If this person told her, you know, be ready by eight o'clock, I'm going to come pick you up and we're going to go to do X, Y, and Z. And the reason they had to meet up is because Hannah didn't have her cell phone. So that's why they had to meet up in person to make their plans for what was going to happen later that night. And maybe this unidentified person and Hannah were planning for someone else to pick Hannah up. Maybe it wasn't even this particular person. This guy was in the car with other people is what the witness said. It wasn't just him in the car. It was him and his friends. So obviously there are more people involved in this than are what are coming forward. There's a lot more people that know what happened. Okay, we're going to take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. All right, you guys, welcome back. The thing about this case that really just throws it all off is this rainstorm. And if we're following this theory that Hannah did leave the complex with some friends of hers, Hannah would have either had to have been murdered while in the rain and while the rain was still going before the rain had happened or murdered somewhere else and brought to the spot where she was found in order for there to be no evidence at the crime scene. Now, police have said that there were no drag marks around the scene and nothing to indicate that she had been placed there 
there, but I just think it's important that we don't leave any stone left unturned, and it's a theory that I just couldn't stop thinking about. Like, I feel like it's very possible that her and this unidentified person made plans for that night, and I think that if that is the case, those plans are extremely crucial in figuring out what exactly happened to Hannah. Another theory in this case that I found interesting was the possibility that Hannah could have been involved with an older man. She could have had a romantic relationship with an older man. Hannah was gorgeous. Hannah was a really, really pretty girl and she was 16 years old. So, so there's multiple ways this could have gone if this is the theory we're sticking with. She could have had a romantic relationship with this older man and this older man decided, you know, I'm not into this anymore. I don't want to do this and broke up with Hannah. Hannah got angry and threatened to out him and kind of come forward and possibly accuse him of something and he freaked out and he decided that the best thing to do or in an act of rage would be to murder Hannah. This could have also fallen into the pregnancy theory as well if Hannah was either pretending or was actually pregnant with an older person's child. And when I say older person, I mean someone who is over the legal limit. And once they heard this, they got nervous and they acted out and they ended up killing Hannah. I think that there's multiple different ways that that could have gone as well. So let me know what you guys think. Like I said, the theories that we talked about are just theories. We don't know a lot of actual facts in this case, which just makes it really frustrating. But one thing that we do know is that Hannah and her family deserve justice. There is a killer walking around freely still, and that is terrifying to think about. So that's all we have on Hannah's case. I am so interested to see what you guys have to say about it, where your instincts lie as far as theories go. But before we close out this episode, I do want to talk about something that I just found bizarre, and that is Lake Lanier. So Lake Lanier, when I was doing my research on this, I found out that Lake Lanier is known as Georgia's most cursed lake, and I was debating on bringing this up in this case because this definitely brings more of a paranormal angle into things, and when we're dealing with someone's actual life and the most traumatic things that have ever happened to them, I don't want to seem insensitive or that I'm steering away from the facts in this case. And like I said, I'm not saying that this has anything to do with Hannah's death, as I'm sure it doesn't. However, I couldn't help but become extremely intrigued and curious when I heard about this, so I thought I would bring it up. And I honestly feel like this could be its own episode in and of itself, but we will just kind of glaze through this, and I encourage you to do your own research if you find it as interesting as I did. So as far as Lake Lanier goes, there has been a strange amount of deaths on and around Lake Lanier. There has been a strange amount of boating accidents, drownings, and drivers who have driven their car into this lake. And a lot of these drowning accidents were reportedly by swimmers who were strong swimmers, and it was in calm water conditions, which led a lot of people to believe that there was something haunted about the lake. And people who have survived almost drowning in the lake have come forward and said when this happened to them, they felt like they were being pulled underwater or that air suddenly seemed to have left their lungs. In 2012, the same year that Hannah was murdered, there were two young boys who passed away after being hit by a speeding boat while they were riding a pontoon. And I'm not sure if you guys remember this, but in 2012, Usher's ex-wife's son actually passed away after being hit by a jet ski while on an inner tube, and that left him brain dead, which he ultimately ended up passing away from. So that accident also happened on Lake Lanier, which I was unaware of until doing this research. And then there was a man named Kelly Nash. Now, Kelly Nash was 25 years old when he went missing from his 
home in Bufford, Georgia on January 5th, 2015, and his body was found in Lake Lanier a month later. Still in the pajamas he was wearing the night he went missing, he was found with a gunshot wound to his head, and the murder to this day remains unsolved. In November of 1990, construction workers were working on expanding the Lake Lanier Bridge, and they were cleaning out the bottom of the lake to create pillars for the bridge, and that is when they found a car at the bottom of the lake with an almost completely decomposed body inside of it. Now, based off of the belongings that were also found in the car and with the bodies, authorities were able to identify this body as belonging to Susie Roberts. Now, about 18 months prior to Susie's body being found, there had actually been another body that had risen to the surface, and when it did, her corpse was missing two toes from the left foot as well as both of her hands. Now, like I said, this was around the time of 1990, and in 1954, two women named Susie Roberts as well as Delia Parker Young went missing after a night out, and their bodies were never found up until this had happened. When the body rose to the surface, the one that had no hands and was missing two toes, authorities were almost positive that it belonged to Delia. However, they were not sure, and it wasn't until Susie's body was found still in the car that they were able to confirm that it had been Delia's body that was found that floated to the surface. Now, this case in particular has brought out the name of the woman in the blue dress. People to this day have claimed to see a ghostly woman walking up and down the Lanier Bridge in a blue dress and missing hands. People have called her the Lady of the Lake. In 2013, there was a murder of 20-year-old Kayla Jean Wheel, whose remains were found at a park right near Lake Lanier. And in March 2015, there was a murder-suicide after a car had driven itself into Lake Lanier. And of course, then we have Hannah Trulove, the person that we're talking about in this episode. Now, again, I don't think that there's really any paranormal connection between Hannah's murder and this curse of Lake Lanier. However, like I said, once I found that there had been so many accidents and just bizarre things that had happened on and around this lake, I couldn't help but want to find out more information about it. And I'm still just kind of like in shock of all of the strange and bizarre deaths that have occurred. It just blows my mind. And here's the thing. I'm someone who I'm iffy on some paranormal things. I'm the type of person who likes to see the facts. I like to see the evidence, but there's certain things that just sometimes are unexplainable. And this is just bizarre to me. So I'm interested to know what you guys think about Hannah's case and the theories that you think are most plausible for Hannah's murder, as well as what you think about Lake Lanier. And, you know, this could just be that there are a lot of deaths that happen there. It just it could be a coincidence, but I'm very interested to see what you guys have to say about it. So with that being said, you guys, that is all from me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah. I am your host of Killer Instinct. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here every Wednesday on Killer Instinct and you are not going to want to miss it. I will be back next week with you guys to talk about a brand new case and to go over the theories you have on this one. And until then, stay inside, stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk later.